Please turn with me to Psalm 77. This is the psalm that we sang earlier and uh, heard the second half. But we're going to read the whole psalm and look at the whole thing together. Psalm 77. This is a psalm of Asaph. My voice rises to God, and I will cry aloud. My voice rises to God, and he will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I sought the Lord. In the night, my hand was stretched out without weariness. My soul refused to be comforted. When I remember God, then I am disturbed. When I sigh, then my spirit grows faint. You have held my eyelids open. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. I have considered the days of old, the years of long ago. I will remember my song in the night. I will meditate with my heart and my spirit ponders. Will the Lord reject forever? And will he never be favorable again? Has his loving kindness ceased forever? Has his promise come to an end forever? Has God forgotten to be gracious Or has he in anger withdrawn his compassion? Then I said, it is my grief that the right hand of the Most High has changed. I shall remember the deeds of the Lord. Surely I will remember your wonders of old. I will meditate on all your work and muse on your deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God? You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your strength among the peoples. You have by your power redeemed your people, the sons of Jacob and Joseph. The waters saw you, O God. The waters saw you. They were in anguish. The deeps also trembled. The clouds poured out water. The skies gave forth a sound. Your arrows flashed here and there. The sound of your thunder was in the the whirlwind. The lightnings lit up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your way was in the sea, and your paths in the mighty waters, and your footprints may not be known. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. This is the word of the Lord. If your understanding of what's normal for a Christian, if your understanding for what of what's normal for for the life of a Christian has no place for a psalm like Psalm 77, then you've bought into a lie. And your life is going to be very difficult. The great, things, the great thing about the psalms is they tell us what's normal. This is my little advertisement for the Psalms in general. How many of you, as a regular practice, read the Psalms in your normal routine of reading the Bible? The rest of you honestly don't? Really? What? Oh, okay. Well, then that's another sermon, isn't it? Listen. Brothers and sisters, read the Psalms. 
read them. You should read a psalm every day. And here's why. What the psalms do is they tell you what's normal. What's normal for your experience and your life as a Christian. They tell you what's normal. And this stuff, what the, the discouragement, the darkness, the trouble, the depression that Asaph talks about here is normal. And so all of you who don't read the psalms are depressed and you think you're not normal. And that'll kill you. It'll kill you. Because you have nowhere to go with it. What the Psalms do is they tell you what's normal and they give you words to use for when you feel like this. They tell you how to talk to God. That's what this Psalm is. It's a prayer. It's what most of the Psalms are. They're prayers. They're prayers, in this case, of of a man, a real man, a particular man, Asaph, who really had these thoughts, who really went through these things, and it's recorded in the Word of God for us to show us that you're normal, to show you that you're normal. You're not crazy. You're not a substandard Christian because you have times like this that he talks about in this psalm. If a man who has written Scripture that God has used to write Scripture, to record for us and for our good his experience, had this kind of experience, then surely you can. And you do. We do. So this man is in, is in awful trouble. He says, he calls it the day of my trouble. Now, we get a hint that things are going to turn out for him because he begins the psalm with prayer. He says, my voice rises to God and I will cry aloud. My voice rises to God and he will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I sought the Lord. In the night, my hand was stretched out without weariness. The question is not, will you ever face this kind of deep darkness in your soul? That's not the question. It's not whether. It is, you will, certainly. If you're normal, you will. It's not whether you will. The question is, what will you do when it happens? Some of you are there right now. Some of you live here. You live here almost all the time. The question isn't, will this happen to you? The question is, what will you do when it does? What Asaph does is he prays. He exercises faith even when it doesn't feel right, even when it doesn't feel like there's anyone there to hear him, even when it feels like there is no help in God, he still prays. He goes to God. And that's the first thing that he does. Not some other distraction. There's a Matthew Henry says this about this verse. He says, Days of trouble must be days of prayer. Days of inward trouble especially, this inward trouble, the darkness, the despair, the discouragement, the depression. Days of inward trouble especially when God seems to have withdrawn from us. We must seek Him and seek till we find Him. In the day of His trouble, He did not seek for the diversion of business or recreation to shake off His trouble that way. But He sought God and His favor and grace. Those that are under trouble of mind must not think 
to drink it away or laugh it away, but must pray it away. What do you usually do? Drink it away? Some of you do. Laugh it away? Or pray it away? Or neither. You just wallow in it. It has everything. It makes all the difference. What do you do when this comes on you? Look at verse 3. Or verse 2, the end of verse 2. My soul refused to be comforted. My, uh, my youngest son, Elijah, was sick all night, pretty much, and uh, refused to be comforted. Those of you who have little children, little babies, you know what this is like. Refuse to be comforted. No matter what you do, the pacifier doesn't work, the bottle doesn't work, nursing doesn't work, rocking doesn't work. This sometimes is our soul, isn't it? Nothing works. It's, just, it's like we don't want anything to work, you know? Refuse to be comforted. And verse 3, when I remember God, so he's going in the right direction, he starts remembering God, but it says, when I remember God, then I am what? Disturbed. Now, what would we want that to say? What do we wish it would say? Yeah, when I remember God, I'm comforted. But that's not the case with this man. When I remember God, then I am disturbed. What is it about God that's disturbing in a time like this? Well, the easy answer is his wrath and his judgment and his holiness. Those th- certainly those things are disturbing. There's a dark side to the attributes, the characteristics of God that should rightly disturb us, right? But I think it's more to that, more than that. I think in, in a time like this, <clears throat> it's even more disturbing to remember God, the grace of God. Because you can think back and you can look at the Bible and you can know what God says about himself. He is good. He is kind. I've even known it myself. I've known the goodness and the kindness of God. But right now, I can't taste any of that. It's all gone. It's missing. It's as if God has completely abandoned me. Yeah, I know that God is gracious, but He's gracious for others, not for me. Have you ever felt that way? If you have, you're normal. And it's disturbing to think those thoughts. When I sigh, then my spirit grows faint. Look at the experience of this. See if you can relate to it. Verse 4. You have held my eyelids open. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. I can't go to sleep. I can't speak. It's so heavy. I try to go to bed at night. I can't even sleep at night. I can't. Talk about it. The weight of it is so heavy that I can't even speak. Some of us struggle with um, insomnia. And yeah, there can be chemical reasons for that. Maybe you just need to stop drinking coffee at 8 o'clock at night, you know. 
But I think more often than not, there are very serious, very real spiritual roots to our inability to sleep at night. Because Scripture says that God gives His beloved sleep. And Scripture says, in this kind of situation, you held my eyelids open. God, you held my eyelids open. I couldn't even go to sleep at night. And you, you made me so troubled that I couldn't even sleep. And I, if you struggle with insomnia, you should think about this. What is it that's going on? It might be this kind of situation, the despair, the depression, the discouragement. Maybe it's worry. Maybe it's anxiety. And you're constantly running in your mind, fixing your world, saving yourself. Whatever it is. Don't think that it's not a spiritual issue, because it probably is. He says, you've held my eyelids open. I'm so troubled that I cannot speak. Verse 5, I have considered the days of old, the years of long ago. You might think, uh, in verse 6, I will remember my song in the night. I will meditate with my heart and my spirit ponders. You might think, okay, yeah, he's turning the corner now. He's starting to remember the days of old. Now he's going to get better. No, this doesn't make him better. He ain't better yet. Because what is he thinking? He's thinking about the good old days. When you're discouraged and you start thinking about the good old days, back when everything was perfect, back when your life, you know, as a Christian was new, back when you were excited, back when you were godly, back when you were zealous, back when, you know, you could, he says, I remember my songs in the night, back when I could actually sing myself to sleep, you know, when I was happy. You start remembering that, you think that's going to help you? It didn't help him. I've considered the days of old, the years of long ago. I'll remember my song in the night. I'll meditate with my heart. My spirit ponders. What is it that he remembers? What is it that he thinks? What does he ponder? He tells us. These questions that he, that he asks, starting in verse 7, <clears throat> these aren't rhetorical questions. He's not talking himself out of anything yet. He's wallowing in his despair. Look at the questions. Verse 7, will the Lord reject forever? The Lord has rejected me. Will he reject forever? The Lord is not being favorable to me. Will he never be favorable again? He has stopped giving me his loving kindness. Has his loving kindness ceased forever? He is, his promises are flat and dull and empty. Has, has his promise come to an end forever? It's as if he's changed his mind. Has he forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger withdrawn his compassion? How do we know that this is wallowing? Look what it says in verse 10. Then I said, it's my grief that the right hand of the Most High has changed. In other words, he's answering all of these questions in the affirmative. Yeah, God has forgotten me. He has turned away from me. He has rejected me. He is not going to be favorable to me anymore. His loving kindness has ceased. His promises have come to an end. He's forgotten to be gracious. In anger, he's withdrawn his compassion. The right hand of the Most High has changed. 
Is this what you do? Wallow in it. Ponder things that simply are not true. You let your feelings tell you what's true. Feels like God has rejected me. It feels like God has forgotten to be gracious. It feels like his loving kindness is gone. Therefore, it must be true. The hand of the Lord has changed. Be honest. Is this you? Evidently, this, um, this was Asaph more often than not because there's several psalms that he's written where this is kind of the theme. Think, think of Psalm 73. If you're familiar with Psalm 73, you know how it goes. It's a psalm of Asaph, and it's the record of his depression again. This time, the depression is a little different. It's about him looking at the rich, looking at the, the wicked who are rich and prosperous and everything goes well with them. And then he looks at his life and then he looks at the rich. Then he looks at his life. Many people have often said, maybe you felt this way, that being a Christian is much more of a trouble than being a pagan. When you're a pagan, you don't have to worry about anything. You become a Christian, you got all this whole new world of things that you got to worry about and feel the weight of. That's what it, where Asaph was. But if you know Psalm 73, you know what happens. Verse 16. When I pondered to understand this, it was troublesome in my sight until I came into the sanctuary of God. Then I perceived their end. Surely you set them in slippery places. You cast them down to destruction. They're destroyed in a moment. In other words, he comes to his senses. When he turns around, stops staring at himself and turns around and looks at God, comes into the presence of God, comes into the temple of God and remembers what's true and lets what's true tell him how to feel instead of what he feels tell him what's true. It's exactly what he does in Psalm 77. The turning point is verse 11. Before we get to that, I want you to think of this. We don't know what his trouble was. He doesn't tell us exactly. We know what it led to. We know where he went in his heart. We don't know what caused it. We don't know what's going on. That's a wonderful mercy of God for us. Because you can take yourself and whatever trouble you're in and put yourself right here and not say, well, it's not talking about me because, no. It's open for you to put yourself into his shoes. So what is it that's troubling you? What is it that's gotten you in this funk? What tends to get you into the funk when you go there? It can be all kinds of things. It could be external circumstances. It could be your family. It could be this, the, the terrible things that have happened to you, the way that people have treated you. It could be the fact that you've lost children. It could be your parents' And the fact that they stand against you and encourage you to be ungodly. It could be your grown children who are running away from Christ, rejecting your authority, throwing everything that you've ever taught them to the wind. It could be what you see inside of you. The sins that you continually struggle with. 
the habits, the patterns, the, the faithlessness, the lust, the ungodliness. For a few of you, maybe, it could be the state of the church in the world that we live in today. And like Lot, you know, your, your, your righteous soul is vexed as you live in Sodom. Whatever it is that keeps you awake at night. What is it? Where do you go with it? Do you go here? Do you go in? Do you wallow in thoughts about God that simply are not true? What you need to do, I was told after the first service that some of you don't know what navel-gazing is. I thought everybody knew what navel-gazing was. Anyone not know, besides Abram, who told me, does anyone not know what navel-gazing is? All right. Okay. Wow. How would you describe navel-gazing? Well, I mean, just think of what it would look like to gaze at your navel, right? Then you've got it. Staring at yourself. Consumed with yourself. Curved in on yourself. Absorbed with yourself. Don't see anything else. All you stare at is the depths of the the darkness of your soul. And what you need to do is pull your head out of the navel... And look at God. Look at what happens. Verse 11. I shall remember the deeds of the Lord. Surely I will remember your wonders of old. I will meditate on all your work and muse on your deeds. This is where everything changes. This is work. Look at the words that he uses. This isn't just, I'm going to feel somehow. I'm, this is work. I will do the work. I shall remember. I'm going to take my soul by the collar, pick it up, and tell it what to do. I shall remember the deeds of the Lord. Surely, I will remember your wonders of old. I will meditate on all your work and muse on all your deeds, I will, instead of wallowing in these wrong, these lies about God, I'm going to step out of that and step into the, what's true about God. I will remember what God has actually done. Not the way I feel about my life right now. I'm going to move out and look at the objective truth, the reality of what God has done. It's the only way out of the pit. When your faith is in a time of famine, you've got to be like Joseph. Goes into the storehouse, pulls out memories of God's faithfulness, of God's work that you can feed on, strengthen yourself with. But it's work. 
And then he goes into thinking about what God is like. Not just what has he done, but what is he like. Verse 13, your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God? Get out of yourself. Think about what God is really like. Your way, O God, is holy. Your, what God is great like our God. You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your strength among the peoples, among all the nations. Remind yourself, what has he done? What is he like? What is his character? Remind yourself of his redemption. Look at verse 15. You have by your power redeemed your people, the sons of Jacob and Joseph. Now what is it that this man, what is it that Asaph has to look back on? He says, the waters saw you, O God, the waters saw you, they were in anguish, the deeps also trembled, the clouds poured out water, the skies gave forth a sound, your arrows flashed here and there, the sound of your thunder was in the whirlwind, the lightnings lit up the world, the earth trembled and shook, your way was in the sea and your paths in the mighty waters, and your footprints may not be known, you led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. What's he talking about? He's talking about the Red Sea, he's talking about leading, redeeming his people out of Egypt. That's what they had to look back on. What do you have to look back on? As glorious as that was, you have something much more glorious to look back on. Have you lost the sense of it, the feel of it, the glory of it, the magnificence of what Jesus Christ has done in redeeming you? Whatever your trouble is, Whatever gets you here, there's only one way out. What has God done for you? What has He done? You can think about that kind of cosmically. You know, what has He done? What is it? And you can think about it individually. What has He done for you? What is He like? Something that, that I sometimes have people do, maybe I've had you do this, is um, when they come to me for help, is make a list. And on one side of the paper is all the ways that I feel like, all the things that I feel God is like. And it's this list right here. He's rejected me. I mean, more often than not, this is the list. He's rejected me, forgotten to be merciful. Yeah, there's grace for other people, but not for me. And then I say, okay, now on the other side of the paper, with Bible verses, write the truth that counter contradicts everything you just said. Does that make sense? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Is that possible? His loving kindness is what? Is what? Everlasting. I don't care what you feel like. What about your redemption? This table is all about Psalm 77, isn't it? Men, would you come?